Before we start, Alex, what I need to understand is what is your favourite biscuit? It's controversial. Would a Jaffa cake count with a biscuit or not? It's not. It's, it's actually a cake. Okay, okay. Well, yeah, that's it's why it's in the biscuit it's, aisle, though. It's in the biscuit aisle, but it is a cake. <laughs> yeah, okay. Uh, right, in that case, then, um, I'm going to throw the uh, the Maryland cookie out there first. Oh, yes. Good choice. You do dunk when you breathe, though, don't you? Oh, do you know what? This is going to get even more controversial. I don't really drink tea these days. London's changed, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Does your dad know all this? Um, probably not. Because no. he's obviously from this area, I'm sure he's, you know, a big tea drinker, you know, one of the lads. Hello, and welcome to today's Hobnob episode with me, Cameron Mitchell. Hobnob is brought to you by Fulfillment Crowd, a world-leading fulfillment provider, trusted by online retailers to fulfill orders on time, every time. Hobnob was created to inspire conversations with industry-leading professionals to give you the best advice and tips straight from the experts. And today's expert guest, I'm joined by the co-founder of eco-conscious travel goods brand, 195, and the head of sales here at Fulfillment Crowd, Anna Briggs-Price, or as we like to call it, ABP. Hey. <laughs> thanks for joining me today guys how are you both yeah very well thank you alex how are you i'm very well thank you yeah thank you for having me good lovely to speak to both of you um alex i hope your nerves aren't as bad as they were the other day with your interview on the bbc don't worry i'm not as scary as some of them no you're not i have to admit the um, <laughs> the countdown to starting this podcast i didn't feel quite the same pressure i mean i, I will try my best to uh to speak slowly because that's half the problem being a northerner is that i get carried away and i speak too fast no, I agree. You're certainly more welcoming than the uh, the tough questions I got on the BBC News. <laughs> I hope so. You worm your way onto some things you don't. Yeah, you're everywhere. Everywhere a lot, you're somewhere. If you're not in the paper, you're on this morning. If you're not on this morning, you're on the BBC. You're everywhere, aren't you? Let's face it. Anna, you know, right? It's, just, it's basically sales, isn't it? It's just... You're just building your brand. Tell tell a, tell a good Getting story, yourself yeah, everybody exactly. out there. So I w- yeah, absolutely. I agree with that. It, that, that. That's the only way brands build, though, isn't it? By doing that, you've got to get yourself out there, haven't you? Yeah, I think so. And I think get so. people listening to you. I think e-commerce is one of these things that it's kind of like a get rid quick type scheme. I think it is like it's a slow burn. You've got to build it. Yeah, yeah. yeah, Yeah, I think with you, though, I think like, I think the more you get out there, the better it is for you. Um so I think you're doing the right things, absolutely yep. doing the right things. That's and right. I think obviously now the virus is calming down and we're getting out there and you can go on holiday again, stuff like that. It's only going to help you, isn't it? I hope so. I'm just, I'm just hoping there's not this, this dreaded second wave. So, Alex, as um, I mentioned, 195 are an eco-conscious travel goods brand, um, most known for their high-quality redesigned wash bags for the modern traveller. Um, for those of you that don't know the meaning behind the brand name 195, it's actually named after the amount of countries around the world. Is that right? Yes, that's right. Yeah, yeah, pretty much. Yeah. So um, that was kind of one of the first things that we worked on as, 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 a, as a company and a brand in, in terms of uh, what do we call ourselves? And, and, and secondly, how do we find a .com domain name in, well, at the time it was 2018. But uh, yeah, it, it was kind of a combination of a name that we felt encompassed the idea of getting out there and exploring uh, as well yeah. as the practical aspects of can we get a dot-com domain and probably the uh, the Facebook and Instagram uh, social handles for that as well. It's quite a trendy name as well. It's, it's quite apt for the brand. What I was curious about, though, is the meaning behind your tagline, which features across your brand, uh, which is the hashtag make waves stay curious. Yes. What was the inspiration behind that? It's kind of on both parts of kind of what we think we're about really and, and and 
kind of going back to the name itself, the stay curious part is around uh, stay stay curious in terms of get out there, explore, meet new people, um, visit new countries, um, you know, get to know other cultures and, and, and understanding and tolerance. I think we're all about sort of championing and supporting that. Yeah. Uh, but at the same time, at the heart of what we do, um, and we use the word eco-conscious because I think ultimately what we're trying to say there is that we're not perfect by any means, but we are continually trying as a startup to get better at what we do in terms of environmental sustainability. Mm. Um, and, and ultimately what we're trying to do is is, is make waves or to, to make a positive change within the sort of the travel goods space and, and within the, the travel industry. Um, yeah. So it kind of ties into that nicely, but at the same time as well, ties quite nicely back into the whole piece around plastic, which is obviously badly impacting our oceans. Uh, and also the fact that our, our logo itself is a whale as well. It's quite a funny story about our logo. It, it was oh, never yeah. actually a whale at the outset. It was a turtle. Uh, oh, really? <laughs> but then we, um, we submitted all our trademarks in the UK for, for the whale, sorry, for the turtle. And uh, the day before the trademark for our turtle was, was, was supposed to go through, it was challenged by uh, a large, I won't say any names, but it was challenged by a large luggage brand from Italy. Oh, yeah. and, um, if anybody's ever gone through this process before of registering trademarks, it's, it's really is a kind of a game. It's a nightmare. That's a bit brutal as well, isn't it? <laughs> uh, yeah, well, it's, it's basically yeah. who's, got, who's got more time and who's got more money, and, and, and yeah. ultimately you win. So yeah. as you'd expect, we lost. Um, so, yeah, the turtle's actually now tattooed on my foot. Um, oh, yeah, at least we'd, um, we'd obviously, we paid for the trademark costs, we paid for the graphic design costs. And I thought, well, I don't really want it to go to waste. And I thought if, it, if it's tattooed on me, then the uh, the brand can't come after me if it's on me rather than yeah. the so have yeah. you got the um the whale tattooed on your own foot i haven't no it's just the turtle yeah. one it's, it's just there's a little reminder to uh, to kind of keep going and a bit of persistence is required in the startup game yeah so if you could just tell us then a bit about your background and how um 195 came into fruition how the idea started and why you decided to create your own business yeah definitely i mean it's probably a little bit 50-50 in terms of circumstance and sort of passion. So on the passion side, uh, I've always loved to travel, to go and see interesting places and take road trips to weird places around the world. So that's always kind of been a passion of mine for, for many, many years. Um, and then alongside that, I think probably like most people, was fairly unaware of the actual plastic problem that, that was impacting our planet until we watched uh, Blue Planet 2. So yeah. The main man, Sir David Attenborough, kind of obviously <laughs> did one hell of a job to expose this as, as, as a world problem and, and, and sort of get people uh, behind this as a problem to, to try and to try and uh, maybe not solve it, but to do their bit at least. And I almost that was kind of in the back of my mind as a niggling thing that I wanted to sort of do something on the back of understanding all of this. Um, and then from a circumstance perspective, uh, before sort of launching 195, I spent six years working. In, in more sort of the, the corporate or the tech world. So um, very, very corporate start to life working uh, for IBM as one of one of 400,000 employees globally. I was a very, very small cog in a big wheel, just didn't really feel like it was for me. Um, yeah. Then I spent three years working for Dropbox, so the US US tech company, but based over here in, in, in uh, Dublin and London, which, which was probably sort of my first, insight more into the kind of the world of, of startups so even though Dropbox was fairly well established by then mm. I still at times felt like I was working in a startup it was all a lot of change so it, it was it was fast-paced it was interesting it was fun um, 
And then by, by uh, November, December of January 2017, I, I was made redundant from that job along with, with others in the team. Uh, mm-hmm. And then around the same time, I actually, I also had to have major bowel surgery. Okay. So yeah. I... Um, Just to put a spanner in the work, so... <laughs> yeah, exactly, right? Yeah, that's the last thing you need. So there's a redundancy and here's surgery. So, um, so yeah, I had this bowel surgery in, 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 in January of 2018, which was, which was pretty big surgery. I ended up having 80 centimetres of my small bowel removed. Oh, wow. This is always an interesting stat. Um, <laughs> But that left me in kind of like well, I was, I was also extremely fortunate to survive it. It was it was pretty hit and miss that I, I actually survived the surgery. So I woke up on intensive care unit with a ventilator in after surgery, and yeah. um, so that was the scenario. And then pretty much spent six months in recovery. Wow. Yeah. So, and I think whenever you have probably too much time on your hands, like I did at the beginning of 2018, mm-hmm. you probably then start to overthink these things and think, well, and think then, what you want to do. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I, well. I, and I, this is in the most rational sense. So I asked myself, you know, had I not survived that surgery, what, what would I have regret in life? And, and I always told myself those three things I decided. So one was that I never did my own thing and set up my own business because I would kind of wanted to do it for a long, long time. Yeah. Number two, a bit romantic. I've never been in love. And number three, this is less romantic. I've never seen England win the World Cup. <laughs> um, so I thought that would be the three regrets. So I thought, right, that's it. Um, rather than spending the next six months, I don't know, playing on the Xbox, watching Netflix, and feeling sorry for myself, uh, I kind of started getting to work really on on one nine five and, and and redesigning the wash bag and and thinking up all these big ideas for uh, eco conscious travel goods. Oh my gosh, that's amazing! So uh, I heard your um. And I was looking at your Instagram about your um, story. It was based around when you visited um, an airport and you noticed the problem with um, plastic pollution. You wanted like an easy solution to it. I think by this point, I think, you know, the world had sort of woken up to the impact of single-use plastics in particular. Um, yeah. And I think it was just one of those mornings where you're, you're queuing to get through through airport security at Heathrow. And it, and it suddenly dawned on me that when you look at, the way we, we go to the supermarket now and everyone carries the bag for life or you're paying 10 pence for a single-use bag, you know, you, you, you sort of feel the element of guilt by picking up that, that single-use bag at the yeah. supermarket. Um, I, call, I call it green guilt. <laughs> exactly, yeah, it, is, it, it definitely is. Like you, you, I think most people feel that way now. And I think if you look at the way people are in their day-to-day lives, uh, they, you know, they're making those, those sort of positive changes. So everyone carries around the reusable water bottle now, the, the coffee cup, the bag for life, that type of thing. Yeah. But when it comes to travel, you, you almost you're out of your own routine. And, and for that reason, it's often you, you lose that routine of, of, of trying to do your bit as well. And, and it became apparent to me when I was stood at Heathrow Airport and everyone was still grabbing these single use bags to put their, um, their kind of their cosmetics and their toiletries in as they're passing through airport security. Um, so it kind of dawned on me as actually. Let's redesign the wash bag and incorporate a, a reusable clear bag that is designed to airport standards. So our customers today can now pass on single-use plastic at airports and, and use our reusable option. Have you always wanted to design a product or have you have you always had that in you? Because I, I, I can't get my head around how people are coming up with all these ideas because I obviously speak to a lot of prospects every single day with all different types of products. And I, I can never understand this, how people come up with this idea of redesigning something or designing a product. So how did you go about redesigning something? 
like the wash bag. Yeah, I mean, like I said, my background is not in anything around product or design at all. Mm. Uh, so okay. really, it was just sort of like looking around for inspiration and of ideas in terms of sort of shapes and styles and colors and materials. Um, yeah. And like I said, like I said, probably had too much time on my hands. So I think one of the first things I did in terms of getting 195 up and running was that I, um, I studied every aspect and every detail of every wash bag across probably like the top five retailers in the UK at the time. So I think it was probably things like John Lewis, House of Fraser, Debenhams, yeah. Selfridges, and then I think did ASOS as well. And then broke down every aspect of, of every wash bag in terms of price, materials, size, kind of the gender yeah. it's aimed at. And then from there, I just started to sort of then almost think about, well, where's the gaps or, or sort of yeah. who do these not represent? Uh, and it kind of came from that point then where we start to start to think, well, first and foremost, travel goods and particularly the wash bag are really quite gender specific, which is almost kind of at odds with where things are going in 2020. Yeah. Um, and then likewise, well, if you look at um, materials used, a lot of the products out there at the time would have suggested that, uh, you know, you're a male, so therefore you want to carry like a black or brown leather wash bag mm. and, and, and females want to carry a kind of a floral cotton pouch. Um, mm, so we, we almost wanted to sort of challenge that notion, really. Um, so it went from us with lots of different ideas and picking up things and then actually sort of pitching it to a design agency who are based in London. Mm. Um, and then we, yeah, we, we sort of worked with them over a six month period to sort of craft the design and, and refine things. And then, then you go into that whole process of, a, trying to reach out and engage with the manufacturer, which which in itself is fairly challenging because you're kind of a nobody at this stage, or you, it's a bit of a sales job to convince. It was partly that, and then you're into the kind of the whole process of creating samples and prototypes, and then refining them and refining them until eventually you get to that final product that you're happy with to sign off for um, kind of a bulk production. Yeah. So how how did you find that transition then from? you know, going from a corporate world to becoming an entrepreneur, like what, what kind of help did you have um, like looking for somebody like um, that wanted to do something similar? Like what advice would you give to them? I mean, I mean, I think the one thing that we've always done is just ask for help. It sounds really, really basic, but I'm a big, big advocate for ask just, you know, if you don't know, there is literally no shame in asking for help from somebody or searching out. And I think the thing that I've realized in this whole process is that there is like a real, intrigue and interest in people who do their own thing um, and people yeah. are incredibly supportive of it if they can help they will do so i think pretty much i'd say if I, even even to this point now where we've been we've, well, we, we launched just over a year ago but the idea was kind of in motion over two years ago now yeah pretty much everyone that we've sort of worked with partnered with you know along the way there's, there's been some kind of either personal connection or or sort of like a connection via a connection and that, that seems to have worked really well for us so far. That's kind of always been our approach, just ask for help and people always seem willing to want to, to, to give it. I always think it's not what you know, it's who you know and who's around you and how you, you, know, you can meet and get introduced to different people to help you along the way. I think that's really important in business, do you? Oh, massively. I mean, yeah, I mean, I just don't think you can do it on your own. And it might sound a bit ruthless, but almost like there's, there's also that chance to sort of learn from others' mistakes as well. So yeah. if you yeah. can if you can pick up some 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 guidance and some advice from people who've already done it, then for me it's, it's a no brainer. 
Yeah. So I know over the past few months, it's been quite difficult for a lot of businesses uh, due to uh, a lot less flights happening and the travel restrictions internationally. Um, how have you been able to adapt um, to this and how have you developed your marketing strategy during the pandemic? Yeah, I mean, it's definitely been a difficult one for us. So um, in, in all fairness, we sort of we sort of felt like it was coming. So once we were sort of monitoring things and we saw that most of the world stopped uh, stopped flights into China and then things like the US stopped all flights to Europe, we knew that probably the writing was on the wall and things were looking pretty bleak. Yeah. Um, but we, we were initially sort of hit really badly, actually, not so much in terms of how we market, but just in terms of our supply chain. So um, because our manufacturer or kind of our primary manufacturer is based in China, they they shut down sort of January time and they weren't able to open for sort of six weeks, two months. So that just meant that we couldn't sort of go into any kind of production. Oh, initially it was Chinese New Year and they sort of shut down in that period. So yeah, we just we, we basically couldn't produce any goods from sort of like mid-February onwards up until sort of like the end of April. That hurt us badly initially. And we kind of thought at that point, and we've not really got that much stock left to sell or kind of in Europe to actually sell, then really what's the point in marketing this too hard right now or, or trying to um, really sort of promote the brand. So we just felt like it was, it, we, we had to really sort of scale back our, our, our spend that we'd normally put into things like PR and marketing. Um, yeah. It just, I mean, partly because we didn't have the stock, but partly so it just didn't really feel like the right time. It felt like, you know, people weren't traveling. People weren't bothered about traveling. There's much bigger concerns around, will I will I have a job to go back to? And are my family and friends safe? And yeah. well? So yeah, that's true. we pulled it back, really. And, and I think we just had to accept that it was a period of sort of playing it defensive, mm. um, which is what we've done. So um, there's some things that we have done sort of longer term in terms of new products and, and things that we've, we've still sort of invested in. But in reality, we, we, we've definitely scaled back our probably our actual plans and, and targets for this year on the basis of what's happened. Do you think that like it's going to take a while for things to pick back up again? Obviously, you can go to Spain or you can go into Europe. Um, I'm not sure, like personally speaking for me, like I probably wouldn't want to get on a flight now. So what what do you think like the outlook is? Do you think it's things are going to start picking up soon or do you think people are going to be a bit more wary and think actually I'll leave it till next year or how do you think things are going to pan out? Yeah, I think I think you're right, Anna. I think I think we are talking more into next year when people hopefully feel a bit more confidence, assuming there's no second wave, of course. Um yeah, I mean, we, we we put kind of a poll out to to our Instagram followers to try and gauge this couple of. I mean, this is probably in the in the midst of of lockdown and, and peak pandemic, yeah. so there probably was um, more sort of uh, fear towards this. But the overriding feeling was that people wouldn't travel until next year. I think I'm finding that just speaking with like friends and family, I think now people are probably are looking into next year, and there's obviously some people that don't really care and will jump on a plane, but. Um, you know, I, I'm I'm feeling the same. I think it will be more next year, but next year will be a massive year for everyone. I think. Yeah, it's how or when people feel that level of confidence, and like you say, I just mm. don't think that there's a a consistent feeling of confidence of people yet to actually travel beyond sort of domestic travel for mm. for the summer. So, so what what are kind of your plans for like next year in the business, and how you feel that you're going to grow the business next year? What's your strategy? So we think rather than I mean. We, we are kind of what we are right now. We are strongly associated to the travel industry based on our product. Yeah. So we think, mm -hmm. and it seems to be the kind of 
another of the years, another of the words of the year, but we have to pivot in, in terms of our product strategy. So um, we are, uh, our, or our design team, I should say, are uh, currently working on um, what we're calling the essentials pouch. It's still sort of a working name, but I think it might stick. Um, yeah. Ultimately, I think what we think we have to do is actually not just focus on uh, products that are strictly for travel goods, but actually um, products that help people to pack smart in their data in their yeah. sort of day to day as well. You know, while still using yeah. the same recycled materials, vegan friendly materials, and being sort of conscious around packaging. Yeah. So we're looking at the moment at the essentials pouch, which we're hopeful to to release um, before Christmas this year. Okay. Um, so it'll be again sort of unisex multifunctional multi-purpose so uh, smaller in size than the wash bag but very much sort of designed for things like the daily uh, cosmetics makeup or like wires and tech that type of thing yeah yeah i think that's one of the clever things that i've seen from the way that your communications across um socials is that you know your product is multi-purpose and it's, it's not just for international travel like, i think we're gonna see especially this year with the trend of like staycations and things like that so it's it's quite a clever way to advertise the brand in that way. Yeah, definitely. I mean, interestingly, we just did, I mean, um, we're not sort of super hot on influencer marketing. It's not always been a big, big priority of ours, but we did, uh, we, we shared um, one of our wash bags of the week with, um, at Where's Molly, and she's about to head off in a van for however long. But actually, the uh, the wash bag lends itself quite nicely to van life because it's got the hanging hook, so it kind of keeps out the way. And yeah. It's it's an easy Definitely. and efficient way to store cosmetics and toiletries whilst whilst Molly's travelling around the world in a van. <laughs> Amazing. Fab. So um, you mentioned previously about um, you know working with your uh, partnerships that you have in China. How has your communication been affected by this? Like, is it have you found it quite difficult to um, keep in, in touch with them? I mean, yeah, I mean, yeah, yes and no, I guess. So, um, which is fairly untypical for, for China, but a lot of them were working from home for a while or from our partners. So I think making that switch from being in an office to from home was a little bit tricky in terms of communications. Um, but it's nearly always a case of, of communicating via things like WeChat and Skype, um, sending PDFs and annotated presentations back and forth with new ideas and tweaks. Um, so that's kind of where we are. I mean, the ideal would have been that we were heading out to China at some point earlier than this point, but obviously mm -hmm. travel shut down, so we can't. But and, and it does, it, it certainly slows down the the actual design and manufacturing process because you you send ideas and then they sort of clarify or confirm things and then they'll make us a, a prototype and it, and it's brought over here rather than if you're actually in the same room with 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 your sort of partners or your manufacturers over there. And you can do sort of a couple of months of work within the space of a week. I've got a question for you, Alex, here, actually, because um, I find that maybe people that do want to uh, move into, you know, developing a product or, you know, going into the e-commerce world. How did you find your manufacturer in China? How did you go about that? Who did you have to find? Do you, do you know people in the UK that knew manufacturers out in China? Or how did you go about it? Because I think a lot of people that might that might be where they struggle, um, actually trying to, you know, get a product made. Yeah, yeah, it, it kind of is this mysterious world and it, and it is tough to sort of break it. So again, like I said, I, I had no prior experience of uh, working with manufacturers or designing products. So that's why we decided to partner with a, a design agency um, 
down here in London called Marama. And um, yeah. it was as much of a kind of a product design project as it was um, childminding me in some ways. So the, uh, yeah. the poor team at Marama almost coached me at the same time in terms of how to approach manufacturers, how to manage manufacturers, how to engage. So a lot of it was trial and error, really. So I, w- I was very much sort of guided on how to reach out to them, how to engage them. And it, and it was kind of a, mm. a, a, a team effort initially. Uh, and that's all now been handed over to me. So sort of from now on, yeah, manage it all myself full time. But I think if, it, if it's a case of actually trying to find people, um, Alibaba is always a good place. The one other thing that I really recommend, which is I think it's a bit of a, I, I've talked about this with other people and no one seems to be aware of it. But if you are aware of a brand that you think um, make a nice product in a kind of a similar space to, to what you work in and they actually import into China, into the US, there are a couple of uh, platforms that they're fairly costly, but you can, you can use sort of like a free or light version of them. One's called Panjiva and one's called Import Genius. They're just both online. You can actually um, use those tools to search for uh, the kind of your competitor or your the company that you admire. And you can actually look at the, the import data of where, if, if it's come from, say, say China, you can actually see who's imported it. So you can actually start to figure out who made their, their products, which... It's kind of like the Holy Grail, really. You don't really want to give that away. So people probably wouldn't thank me for telling you that. But it's uh, <laughs> it's a good tip, though, to have because I do, like, come across probably a few brands that have, like, a middleman. Yep. Um, so they're not going direct to the manufacturer. And I think, I believe, and I might be wrong in saying this, that the key part is actually going direct to manufacturer than actually using a middleman out there. Is that right? Yeah, we've just always felt more comfortable just having that direct relationship. And I think, I think yeah. if, I, if I sort of look at, the, the the business culture in China that seems to be really effective as well that you know there is a big big focus placed on relationships which which is why I actually think it is still worthwhile to be out there at least once a year to be to be with them as well um, yeah I just think it's it's so so fundamental to the success of your business if you're a, if you're a, if you're a product based brand then why wouldn't you want to you know own that relationship and and, and really kind of drive it forward so um I just want to talk about really you've been in partnership with fulfillment crowd now um handling your fulfillment um, for the brand and you recently just celebrated your first birthday. Um, so I just wanted to ask you how your experience with us has been so far and what are the highlights that you've had with us? Yeah, it's, I mean, it's been a very positive. I can't say anything else. Kind of like Anna's here, so I, I can't. <laughs> um, no, I'm, obviously I'm joking. It's, yeah, it's been it's been fantastic to, to, to be on board with you guys. And I think we've always said that we felt like you backed us from the start. And that's something that we, yeah. we do really appreciate that you've done. I mean, before we actually came and, and, and spoke to yourselves, we were we were individually speaking to logistics companies. Uh, so the likes of your DHLs, your DPDs, and most of them don't even want to touch you until you've got like a uh, predictable orders coming in. Uh, so they're just sort of, they, they're not interested. Um, so we kind of felt a little bit sort of cut out by the logistics companies so that, so that when when I had a nice little chat with Anna and she was very welcoming and, you know, came, came on site to visit you all and, 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 and sort of see how you run things. It, it just felt like a no brainer, really. I mean, on top of that as well, the other, the other big thing really is that we would, at, at the outset, we kind of see sort of having a fulfillment partner in yourselves as, as, as a strong platform to grow. So do we want to be spending, you know, a good chunk of our day uh, personally shipping off orders? It's just not really a good use of our yeah, time. Exactly. So it, it felt like I said it was, Use the term again, but it was a no-brainer. Yeah, 
Um, so Anna, let's ask you a question here. Yeah. Um, so you're head of sales here at Fulfillment Crowd. Mm-hmm. Um, you're often the first contact stage with prospects and clients um, and are a key figure in developing relationships with clients and creating partnerships. How important is this to you and how do you usually go about it? Yeah, I'll, I'll actually talk about me and Alex. I think it's really important that when you, when you first speak to someone, that you've actually you build that relationship and rapport with them and mm-hmm. i think that then builds trust and i think alex if i'm right in saying you probably started to trust me as a person and kind of believed in what we were doing as a, as a business and a solution that we you knew that would be able to help you so building relationships is really important um having a good conversation and it's not just about our solution it's whether th- their requirements fit in with us and also you know um we're in the right ballpark in regards to pricing. That's really, it is important at the end yeah. of the day. And knowing Alex's brand and, and how important it was for him, you know, for sustainability and being eco-friendly and stuff like that and how we were looking that way and our, you know, the Lorax project, I guess we were the perfect partnership. So it's about being a partnership and, um, you know, working in partnership together um, and being able to deliver for Alex's brand because essentially we're helping Alex, aren't we, um, deliver the product to his customer. Um, so we're in partnership and it's a level playing field, as I call it. Yeah. Um, what do you think, Alex? Is that how you felt when you first dealt with me? Yeah, I mean, I think you summed it up perfectly there. I mean, I, I'm from a sales background, so I think I quite like being sold to. So it's probably a strange thing. <laughs> I mean, yeah. Anna and I, we we kind of got on well from the outset, so it didn't. It never sort of felt like this weird or forced working relationship. It just felt very natural, which is quite nice. Yeah. Um, and I think that's actually one thing that you do very well as a whole company. Actually, is that you 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 kind of feel like there is um, a window into the company here, and that you get to know people, and there's a relationship, and you know who you can reach out to mm. for help. Um, whereas I think when you look at a lot of other sort of fulfillment partners, you kind of feel like it's just send in stock and then communicate via email so yeah i think even though obviously you guys are growing at a crazy rate you still manage to maintain that that very sort of personal and approachable style that you've all got yeah i think being personal is really important um especially when you're you know you're on the forefront of the business really i think that's really important that people can actually speak to you and have a conversation with you and feel comfortable i I think i think Um, at one point you even give me a taste of your lunch once when i came in to see (laughs) (laughs) you do that for every client <laughs> it was quite nice actually yeah it was quite right yeah but i think it's about yeah having a personal relationship with them and being personable i think that's really really important because essentially alex is already or whoever it is i'm speaking to is already looking for the solution mm-hmm. and sales is really people buy off people yeah. um, and if they can relate to you and you can you know you, you have that rapport with them and that that's the biggest step forward mm-hmm. i find and that's how probably a lot of clients do come on board is because they can actually have a conversation with me and and feel that you know it's not just the solution it's about um, that person that they've been dealing with yeah, that's really important yeah. communication is really key as well and you know being able to we're in a response game to be perfectly honest and um it's about responding to the customer and getting back to them as soon as possible if they've got any questions or anything like that so and i probably did that with alex um Mm -hmm. over the the period of of sales so i think that's really important as well yeah so what would you would you say the ideal customer looks like is there any common issues that you face when dealing with 
Um, I think common patterns in customers is not really knowing a lot about logistics and how it works. And I think it's just kind of guiding them through it and, and going through the process and, and not how we work as a business and how it will fit into their into their business, if that makes sense, and talking about partnerships. And because it's like Alex said, it took him a year to to design the product and, and, and they're really good at their bit. And mm -hmm. obviously I'm more of an expert in regards to logistics and how it works and the picking and packing. So it's just educating clients really. And I think that's the common theme. Um, also another common theme that I come across is when clients are selling products that are really, really cheap and they've got a small basket value and want to move into fulfillment. I think, you know, they, they probably not looked at that as much. So they don't realize that fulfillment probably won't be to the, for them until they've get the right basket value. And I think a lot of cu customers like really appreciate that kind of feedback. And yeah. I find that being honest from the start <clears throat> is always helpful as well mm -hmm. um, for, for clients. But yeah, it's just being knowledgeable about logistics and how it all works. And as soon as you've educated them, I guess that that's when clients, you know, move forward and, kind of come on board with us yeah definitely so um alex i just want to talk to you about um sustainability and having being more eco-conscious um how would you recommend to other brands how they can develop an eco-conscious strategy um so now part of uh 195 you've got your um, partnership with um regain as well as um recently you've just announced that you're going to offset your carbon emissions and yeah i mean like i think for us it's it's just been we're probably a little bit obsessive over how can we always keep improving. Uh, kind of back to yeah. the point I made before, we, we'd sort of say eco-conscious because we don't think we're perfect by any means and there's always things that we can be doing to improve. Um, yeah. So a lot of it really is just sort of seeing what's out there and, 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 and trying to work out. I mean, a lot of the time, what you, you tend to find is that um, the, the first sort of like, it's always the biggest brands that seem to get sort of first access to sort of these interesting projects and these environmentally sustainable projects to try and do better um so it's it's mainly me being persistent in trying to bang those doors down and trying to convince people that uh they should they should get a smaller brand like ours on board as well and that and that we'd sort of fly that flag so yeah um yeah the the, the recycling scheme is something that we put uh we put kind of put there from the outset because whilst we, you know we don't um we don't sort of associate ourselves to uh, sort of a fashion or a fashion brand but at the same time we are still working with textiles and it's well mm -hmm. documented about the impact that fast fashion is having on on the, on on the planet in terms of um, textiles that end up in landfill. And yeah, absolutely. We just and even though we're, you know we're very much trying to promote that people make sure that our products are are well used and well loved, but at the same time, there comes a day when everybody has to dispose of something at some point, typically. So we wanted to make sure yeah. that we were responsible not only for trying to be sort of eco-conscious at the outset but also at the end as well so that's why yeah our customers can can send it back to us free of charge and yeah. via either TerraCycle or regain we we give that commitment that the materials uh, are reused or recycled from our products so you're still a relatively new business but um is there anything that you would if you could uh, tell your younger self when creating the brand oh good question um yeah i mean Get an accountant on board as quick as possible. Oh, God, I hate accounting. And, and, and you're, we're probably speaking at the wrong time because I'm in the midst of accounting hell right now. So it's, <laughs> it's very much playing in my mind. I mean, I think there is there is still this sort of this notion that um, the world of, of startups and 
I hate this word. I never refer to myself as, but entrepreneurship is, it's kind of sexy and it's interesting and it's fun. But I have to admit at times you do some incredibly dull stuff as well. And yeah. actually speaking to you both right now is, is a welcome break from the misery of accounting. So get an accountant on board as soon as you can, or at least learn to read a P&L on a balance sheet from, from the get-go. And um, even though you might not enjoy it, at least appreciate how, how uh, the, the mechanics of accounting works and that when it comes to actually starting to submit accounts down the line or having to actually make more sense of them in terms of targets or investment, then you're already, you've got the foundations in place and you're not, you're not going back and scratching your head from, you know, 12 months, 18 months ago. Yeah. So um, just talking about the future then, what, what would you, do you have any in mind of like any dream collaborators that you'd love to work with? I mean, a lot of it depends on where we go. So, we we often sort of talk about the kind of the affiliation of the wash bag to the kind of the cosmetic space. Um, so looking at maybe an interesting partnership in the cosmetic space would be really cool. Um, yeah. But then at the same time, we think that with the essentials pouch, actually what that does is it takes us into a whole new space again, whether that was sort of, like I said, sort of the daily cosmetics and makeup. I mean, I did. I, did, I reached out to you last week. I thought. I mean, I'm, I'm still in sales mode, really. So I, I thought I'd try and reach out. So I'm, I'm going to call them out on here, just in case they ever heard this. But um, <laughs> uh, ex Arsenal football, big football fan. So ex Arsenal footballer uh, Matthew Flamini has started up a cosmetics brand called Unity. Actually, uh, with um, him and Meza Ozil, I think. So, but I think whenever we sort of see a brand that's complementary to what we're doing and they sort of share similar similar values and and, and ethics, then that's the kind of person that we really want to work with. Um, and actually, I think at this at this stage, rather than sort of going for a big, big brand where you probably don't have a lot of control over a kind of a collaboration, I think we'd actually enjoy working with a UK-based brand more where you can try and build something together. Well, you never know. Could happen in the future. Watch this space. <laughs> <laughs> so um, you mentioned before that you like to travel yourself. Um, what are some of the best places that you've been? Oh, I mean, I, I'm a big fan of a road trip. So uh, yeah. I'm all for heading somewhere and then hiring that car and then discovering somewhere new. So I think uh, some of the most interesting things I've done was probably um, went from Marrakesh in Morocco out into the Sahara Desert and then spent the night out in, um, in, 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 in the desert in a camp, which is quite cool. That's amazing. Um, <laughs> I, 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 like, I like a coastal road trip. So I've driven um, the garden route in South Africa, which was nice. Um, the Great Ocean Road in Australia. Um, and then this one actually sort of, whenever I sort of say this, people find this really, really bizarre, but I've always had this interest to want to go and experience North Korea. All right, okay, that's a bit different. Really, Alex, I can't believe you just said that. I'm really interested in North Korea. I read about yeah, it. Yeah, it's all right. It's fine. Like, it's really intriguing. I, I tell you, you went out to North Korea recently, Stuart Pierce. Really? He went to North Korea because he was really interested in it as well. And, like it got, obviously, it was like a really big organised trip, but he did two weeks out in North Korea just to find, because he really wanted to experience the culture. Same, yeah, I think I think you, I said, I probably read quite a bit as well, and you obviously, I'm not sure I could take on two weeks, but I did see that you can do the kind of the four-day, five-day trips to Pyongyang. So I've always, mm. when I tell people, people think I'm crazy, but I just think it's, I think whenever there's any kind of like secrecy or unknown, it's something that always yeah. draws me to want yeah, to visit that place and to, to explore. Yeah. yeah. What about you, Anna? Where do you think you're going next? <laughs> no. Well, to be fair, the, one of the things, that, the, one of the places I wanted to like always go is to Sardinia. 
for some reason. Oh. I've always wanted to travel just to go there, just to see what it's like. It doesn't sound very exciting, but I've, I've always thought it was be like a really beautiful place. Some of the best places I've been to, probably uh, Sorrento on mm. the Amalfi mm-hmm. Coast. Um, one of the best places for like sightseeing and going to Capri mm. um, and going up, you know, to the top of Capri. That's beautiful. Oh, you've got some expensive taste um, while you're going. Oh my God, Alex, it's so expensive. I couldn't do it again. Um, Santorini was lovely. Mm. I really enjoyed it there. But probably Mexico was probably the best place I've ever been. But I've, obviously I was a holiday rep for a couple of years. So I did a lot of like exploring, working in Egypt and obviously in, in Spain in the Costa del Sol. So I've done all that. I've been there and I've, uh, I've had to come home. Uh, otherwise, I think I'd have drank myself to uh, <laughs> death. <laughs> Um, but yeah, I've had some great experiences in regards to travel and hopefully um, next year I'll probably look at Sardinia. Alex, where are you thinking next year? Do you know what? I probably have to. I mean, it's, it's kind of been, it's, we've attempted this twice and it's failed. So my, my girlfriend's Colombian and I still haven't been. Yeah. Really? So that's interesting. Um, we, cool. we keep saying that we need to get back. I mean, Valentina's doing her own thing as well. So she's super busy at the moment, but um yeah, we, we keep saying that I'd like to go and sort of take two or three weeks and, and properly explore Colombia because I hear a lot about it. I attempt to speak Spanish badly, so <laughs> it only feels right that I go and visit next. That'd be nice. That'd be cool. Fantastic. Well, Alex and Anna, it's lovely to speak to both of you. Thank you so much for joining us for today's Hobnob. Um, if you'd like to take a closer look to the stylish yet eco-friendly wash bags, then please visit 195's website or you can follow them on Instagram at 195. Uh, you can also join us next time for more special guests and industry insights. If you'd like to know more about our fulfillment and shipping services, please visit fulfillmentcrowd.com or search the hashtag join the crowd.